April 21st, 2009 was really the worst day of my life. But April 22nd is the day that broke my heart. So I wanted to tell you guys about Isaiah's birth story. So today, 4-22-2020, is his birthday. It's his 11th birthday. And so I wanted to share this story with you. If you don't know, it's Lindsay. And this is a, a special episode of journey from infertility so i wanted to tell you guys the story of where this really kind of turned for me so 2009 normal pregnancy going through a lot of things um just a complete normal pregnancy i went to all my appointments um i didn't have any problems um but maybe the week or so before um the week or so before I, I had Isaiah you know I was feeling a little weird so I was having some crazy dreams um having some different kind of you know labor pains of what I thought and you know just didn't kind of just brush it off didn't kind of pay it any attention baby had been moving fine you know nothing's going on you know whoop de whoop so earlier on the 21st I had lost my mucus plug. So I'm like, oh my goodness, it's almost time for me to go into labor. You know, that's just the first key signs. Of course, this is like my first full-term pregnancy. So of course, I don't really know. And so I'm at work and I tell my boyfriend at the time, like, hey, you know, my mucus plug fell out. So the baby should be here probably, you know, probably within the next couple of weeks. Maybe, don't know. And, you know, while I'm sitting at work, I'm starting to feel like contractions. And so um, my mom was working with me at the time. And so I called her and I'm like, mom, I'm not feeling too good. Um, I'm having these pains in my back and it hurts really, really bad. But it's not consistent enough for me to try to go in yet. So just keep me posted. My back's hurting, you know, just going through the day. So later on, the pain gets a little bit stronger. So I'm like, okay, I'm going into labor at this point. I continue to go through the day. I call the doctor. Um, and they're saying, well, you know, count and see how far they are apart. And so at that time, it was probably like maybe 10 minutes that the contractions were going. So I call my boyfriend, tell him to come pick me up. We go to the hospital. Um, my mom gets off work. She goes to the hospital with us. And luckily enough, the hospital was not far from where I was working at at the time. So I get to the hospital, go through the emergency room, you know, I'm telling or go through labor and delivery, excuse me, you know, telling them I'm having contractions, I'm having these pains. And, you know, we're just sitting around just talking, talking. Um, and so they're trying to put the monitor on me. So if you know, if you've been pregnant before, they usually put a, a, a fetal monitor on your stomach. And so at first, you know, the nurse was trying to put it on. She could never find the baby's heartbeat. So she was like, oh, the baby's just playing. Just keep running. Can't find it. Can't find it. But then it goes on a little too long. So she actually finally just hooks it up and just lets it go. And then she couldn't, I guess she couldn't find the heartbeat. 
So we continue going and they order an ultrasound just to see, you know, what's going on. They asked me, have I felt the baby move? And I told them, well, yeah, I felt it, but I don't really remember the last time I actually felt the baby move. So they order the ultrasound and the tech comes in maybe like maybe 10, 15 minutes later. And I work, I used to work, well, I currently work cardiology, but I was working cardiology at the time. And so I know what it sounds like looking for a heartbeat. And so she just has this look on her face. And of course, they teach techs to not show any emotion, to, you know, pretty much be, you know, have a poker face when you do stuff like that. But me looking and I looked at the screen and so she tried to run the the heartbeat, try to find it. You didn't hear anything. And so I asked her what's wrong and she doesn't respond. And so I asked her what's wrong again. And she looks at me, she's like, you know, well, you need to wait for the doctor. And she's telling me in the process, you know, by the look on her face, she was like, that she can't find a heartbeat. So she goes out the door and I tell, I think I tell my mom and I tell my boyfriend, like, they can't find a heartbeat. Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. And so the doctor comes in and does the ultrasound again. And they tell me that they can't find the heartbeat. Mind you, I am 34 weeks pregnant. I am literally in my ninth month. And at that point, just the room goes silent. People were coming. I don't know who sent a text message out, anything, but I start getting a flood of people coming into this room. And it's just literally like, I don't understand what's going on. And, you know, the doctor tells me there's no heartbeat. So we're going to have to get this baby out of you. Um, you are in labor, but we're going to induce it, you know, to make you go into active labor. And that was probably one of the most traumatic times of my life because I had a dead baby inside of me. And not to be blunt or, you know, not acknowledge, you know, what's going on, but my child has just died that I've carried for nine months. And what you're telling me is that I'm going to have to go through active labor, active delivery, and birth a dead child. At that point, I had no clue what that meant or what that, you know, what it would do to me. And, you know, just they finally put me up on the floor and they gave me the Pitocin and gave me the epidural. Like I went through the whole delivery experience to the point that I'm, I mean, in the delivery room, you know, we're waiting for me to be able to push this baby out. And, you know, I'm crying in between things. I'm trying to focus and I just, between me crying, I'm asleep. I wake up, I'm crying, I'm going back to sleep. It was just like, there was no words to be said. There was nothing anybody could say to me. There was nothing anybody could do. And so I, you know, I try to do my best at resting. And so at about three o'clock 
or so. It was almost four o'clock because his birth time was 3.53. I wake up and I said, I'm feeling pressure and I didn't know what was going on. So I'm like, I really feel this pressure, like, like I need to push. And I really didn't even have to push at that point because I reached down not to be graphy, but I reached down and I felt his head. So I had already started pushing anyway, called the nurse. And they said, well, hold on. We're trying to get the doctor, you know, whoop de whoop And it wasn't even maybe less than 10 minutes. And I pretty much had caught him myself. Um, I just had my son. And... It was the hardest thing to do because it was not something that I wanted to do. And it was traumatic to the point that I had to, to catch my own child because the doctor wasn't coming fast enough. Um, and I had to get through the motion of seeing my child um you know, seeing my child the way that he was, um, he was rather small, even though I was only 34 weeks, he was about three pounds at that time. And they cleaned him up, they gave him to me and I held him for maybe like five or ten minutes and I sent him away and I never saw my son again um and at that time it was uh it was hard to come to terms with a lot because also at the same time my cousin um my cousin's girlfriend at the time was pregnant also and she wound up having her baby on the same day that I did So my son and one of my cousins um, share a birthday. So today is usually very hard for me because I see her. And I wish that my son was here too with her. You know, we would be planning birthdays from afar or we'll be doing something celebratory um, together because I know that, you know, me and my cousin are close. But we would... um, I knew we would be doing something together. So, you know, after having Isaiah and, you know, getting everything going, um, I stayed in the hospital probably for another two days or so. And it literally was a blur. I don't know who came and saw me. I don't know who called me. Um, I just got so many condolences and trying to make sure that I'm okay and, then in the process of me going through that, they decided they wanted to have like a memorial ceremony and God forbid that people do these kind of things. Like it wasn't, I wish that somebody would have been an advocate for me in this time to the point that I would have been sane enough to do the things that I really wanted to do. Um, without any kind of constraint because silly me 
they had a memorial. Um, the chaplain and them came in and said, you know, or whoever does these arrangements, they gave me options. They either said, you can get the ashes, you can get the body, or you can, we have a service where we'll cremate them for free, but we'll sprinkle the ashes in a memorial garden in a cemetery um, near, um, in Clarkston. I think it's considered Clarkston. And dummy me, I'm going to call myself a dummy because I did not think to tell them like, hey, you know what? Don't, um, you know, let me think about it. And the first thing I thought of was the money to, to try to, to even to bury him or the money to cremate him. And that was just something that I did not have at that, that moment. Um, and at that time, I'm still grieving. So the day the day that I have my child, um, you know, somebody comes in and asks me these questions and I'm, I don't know what to say. So I tell them, just go ahead and cremate them and y'all sprinkle the ashes, you know, not thinking, not in my right mind, not in my, in my grieving state that this would have been right. And again, literally a blur, but I remember them. I don't know if it was the day of, or the day after they rolled me down to this chapel. I'm in still a hospital gown and it was my mom, my boyfriend. I think my dad was there. I don't even remember who was there, honestly. And some chaplain who I don't know, who does not know me, does not know my family, decided to give a memorial about a child they've never met and I felt upset. I felt wronged. And I felt literally like, this is stupid. And why would someone even make this doable at this time? But again, it was me in a state that I did not know what to do. And I thought this would help and it didn't. So by the time I left and was discharged, I got home and I don't think, I don't want to say I don't think anybody thought about it, but when I got home, um, I was staying with my parents at that time and I got home and the first thing I do when I walk in my room, his bassinet is up, the clothes are still in the room, um, and I immediately fall to my knees and I cry because I'm coming home with no baby and everything is still here like I left it. And I don't think that should have been the first thing I saw when I got home. I don't know how long it was before I really got back to a state where I didn't cry every day. Um, I know probably the day after I got home, I went to a concert by my friend Dave and I love him to death because he dedicated that concert to me and to Lewis and to our son. And I never forget that day because that was the first, you know, big thing that somebody did for me. And 
you know, over the last, the next couple of weeks, they allowed me to stay home. I was out for six weeks um, for maternity leave. And, you know, a lot of that too was a blur. Um, I just remember going out a lot and trying to pass the time. And even still, because I was not being compliant, probably within like two weeks, I had got readmitted to the hospital for a high fever, an unexplainable fever. I could not, could they they had no clue of what it was. And pretty much I had to deal with that. And like I said, it's been 11 years since I lost my son. Not a day goes by that I don't think about him. And now that my, my two-year-old and my seven-month-old are here, it's, it's even harder now because I wish they had their brother. I do. I really wish that they had their brother here so they can play with them and he could, you know, guide them and protect them as a brother should, but he's not. And I just want anybody who hears this that, again, I never want a pity party, but I don't think I've ever told that story out loud to anybody I've written it down I've sent it to people but I've never told that story out loud and it's hard to process and to think that you can get over it immediately because a lot of people you know used to tell me oh it's okay I mean you'll get over it um you'll be able to have kids again eventually um, it's not, it's not your ending place, you know, be glad he didn't have to deal with whatever was going on or whatever's going on in the world right now. And, you know, a lot of stuff that people just shouldn't say to people who just lose someone, you know, in general. And I just, I wish in those, pro in that time, I wish I had somebody with a sound mind around me at all times. Like, even my boyfriend, I can't even say that he was at sound mind because we're both going through something as traumatic as it was. Even though he did not carry him, he went through a lot with me in regards to that situation. So it's not like it would be, he was in a sound state at that time. Um, I just wish that somebody was there for me from the beginning. Um, I wish they didn't, you know, put a constraint on my grief because I wasn't ready to go home yet. Um, I wish there was a way to protect women in this in this space. I wish I would have had, honestly, a psych evaluation before I left. I wish that somebody would have told me that, you know, therapy doesn't work in a day which is what I thought and it never happened and up until now I'm just now starting to go to therapy to work on this and work on what's going on work on what's happened because I honestly do have PTSD in regards to the situation and it's never stopped I just hope that hearing this story you know I'm not the only person who's ever gone through this. And 
for me to be 31 years old at this point to have had a stillborn in my life that this molded me to where I am now. It was never a stopping point for me, but it did help me get, you know, it helped me grow. It helped me to be strong. So even though I can still tell that story, I can cry my eyes out. I still have raw emotions about it. I can still tell the story sometimes in pieces without without it being me crying the whole way through. But it used to be the time that anybody would say my son's name, I'm in tears. The moment, it it never failed. You brought up my son, I'm crying. Now, it takes a lot for me to bring that up before. So now I can speak about my son. I love him. I miss him. I want him here. But it took literally me to get to year 11 to be at this point that I'm not ashamed to tell my story. I'm not ashamed to tell people that I've lost my son because at the beginning I was. I was ashamed to tell people that I lost children. I was ashamed because I did not carry my child and I blamed myself for so many years about me losing my child. And I blamed myself for all the miscarriages and things that I had. I continued to blame and it took me probably up until maybe five years ago to stop. It took me probably five years ago to stop blaming myself, stop blaming my body for what happened and just accept the things that happened. I'm not going to say that my faith was strong at that point because I had lost all religion the day that I lost my son. Like, why would you do this? Who do you think you are doing this to me? And who do you think you are to just take my son from me? Like, you're God, the creator. So why would you take somebody from me that I didn't even get to meet? So at this point, I just wanted to share my birth story with him because nobody has heard it. Nobody has heard it. Only people have lived it with me. And that's my really close friends and my family. And so I wanted to share this story because, again, I don't I want people to know that those times are not just cut and dry for people. It's like you walk in one day saying that you're going to have a baby. And then two days later, you walk out and you have nothing. Everything that you've built up toward is gone. And my son was one of those things that was taken away from me. And I just want to give somebody a a, a voice because I know I'm not the only person who's gone through that, but I know a lot of people are afraid to share that. So if you ever come across somebody who you meet that has a birth story or they're kind of hesitant about telling it, something might be wrong and something they might not want to share with you. But again, I want to be able to give people the confidence to tell their story and be able to vocalize their feelings because that was one thing I never wanted to tell anybody is that I was ashamed of growing this child and then losing this child full-blown ashamed because I could not carry my child to term 
And I don't want anybody to be ashamed of you losing your children. I want you to be proud because from that moment, you're a mother. You're a mother. You're a father at that point. You are a parent. And you can never deny the children that you have lost because they are what made you parents in the first place. So again, today is Isaiah's birthday. He would have been 11 years old today. And I wanted to be able to celebrate his life by sharing his story. Because without him, this story would not exist. So this was a special edition that I wanted to do for today. And I just want you guys to know, don't be ashamed of your story. If you can, tell it the best way that you can. Even if you have to shorten it until you feel comfortable telling it, do it. So I'm going to end this here and just let you know that if you can do anything today, just for Isaiah's birthday, take a moment of silence, light a candle, go release a balloon, whatever it is that you feel comfortable doing in remembrance of my son, I would greatly appreciate it. So I hope you guys have a great day and enjoy the rest of your week.